Thank you, Megan. There is no greater pursuit than to, to know Christ and to make Him known, and you need to come to that point where I'd rather have Jesus than anything else. In fact, that's really the, one of the questions that Jesus asked His disciples after He fed the 5,000 and told them that he was, they were to drink of His blood and eat of His flesh, and they just took off as He was raising the level of commitment other than just coming out to get a free meal. And as they took off, he turned to the disciples and he said, well, you leave as well. And Peter said, where else would we go? And so hopefully you've come to that point in your life where um, you do understand that to, to know Christ, uh, there is nothing more um, than the world can offer. There's nothing the world can offer that compares to knowing Christ and, and knowing him deeply. Well, so this morning we had the opportunity to continue in our series, the book of Ephesians. And uh, you've been se- seated for a few moments. Let's stand. I want to read the passage together. So stand up and let's read Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6, or listen as I read it. So in the honor of God's word, let's stand as I read the passage that we'll be looking at uh, this, this morning. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we look in your word that you might speak into our lives, that we might understand its truth for uh, our walk with you, and that we might draw closer to you because of our time spent together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated unless you prefer to stand for the rest of the message. I always think of that because most of the time when Jesus spoke, he sat and they stood, but uh, we've reversed that in our culture. So the traditional service, we really ought to be that way. You ought to stand and I'd sit. And, you know, anyway. But as you think about God's uh, message to us, God wants us to understand his truth so that we might live it out. And as we've said uh, already many times, is that Paul emphasizes in many of his letters, and particularly in the book of, of Ephesians, we need to understand that the Christian life is really understand how much he's changed us before we do anything. And in fact, though we probably won't really appreciate it this side of eternity, God has made more changes in you and I, if you are a follower of Christ, than it will be even when you get to heaven. We are a new creation now. We are saints now. We are set free now. We are fully forgiven now. We have the presence of God now. Now, actually, when we get to heaven, there's really only one thing that's going to change. There's going to be something removed or, and given anew, and that's our body. We're going to have a new body, and it'll be a glorified body, and we will not be tied down to the, the lusts of the flesh. We will be changed from our location. We won't be in a world that will antagonize us and tempt us and we won't have the evil one having any influence on us but in terms of our own life we are totally changed now and so paul as he writes the first three chapters doesn't give us anything to do for three uh, sections of this six section book he gives us but now he's flipping that coin and he's now saying in light of who you are all the changes god has made and you could add this, and also in light of what he continually does in and through you through his spirit, um, now I want you to live like it. And so that's where he says, I therefore by the prison of the Lord beseech you to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. And then he goes on and describes what that should look like. 
And that's what we're going to see today, Lord willing. We'll get through all of them. We only got through two of them last week. But God wants us to be people who can be described as being uh, filled with humility, uh, with gentleness or meekness, with patience or long-suffering, with loving forbearance, and with a life of diligence. And this is saying, okay, this is how you live out who you are. And the message entitled The Inside Out, because the Christian life can't be lived by simply saying, I'm going to try harder. Trying harder will not work. It's about trusting harder or more and believing what God has done and then living his resources out through your life. Now, in case you think that Paul was a little bit a one-note musician, uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, basically, Peter says the same thing that Paul does. I I want you to understand who you are before you try to heed any of the instructions I have for you from the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And so, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter identifies himself as the one writing his words, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle, of Jesus Christ to those who have attained light, precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, which simply says, I'm writing to people who believe here. Now, if you don't believe, you can listen in because this is what you can have if you know the living Christ. But I'm talking to people who are just like me. And I'm sure they're thinking, we're just not like you, Peter. You are so much more than we are. You are an apostle. We're just, we're just a believer. And he says, no, you have the same precious faith that I do. You've encountered the living God. Now I want you to understand even more so all that that entails. So he says in verses two through four, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, which I'll take a breath. I know I've been uh, reading fast. He's simply saying again, it all begins with a knowledge of God. And then he goes on. I want you to understand this as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So if you want to live a godly life and you think, I'm not powerful enough, enough, he says, I've given you what? I'll start all over again if you don't answer me. I've given you what? Power. Well, right here in verse 3, he's given us knowledge, but in verse 3, he, and his, as his divine power has given us all things. So we have his power that in, in, in light of that is true. We have now given all things in relationship to life and godliness. We have the power to live a life of godliness. And then he goes on and says, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious, what? Promises. So he's given us power and he's given us promises. And then he says, these promises are exceedingly great and they're precious, that through these you may be partakers. Then we become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that that is in the world through lust. So we have power, we have promises, and then we become a partaker. And the partaker is his nature. Sometimes we might say to people, well, I do that, but that's simply not in my nature. Well, that might might be true in your fallen nature or the, the nature that still has some remnants of the old flesh, but now you have a new nature. And so... Peter and Paul are trying to say, now, live out what you have. You have power, you have promises, you are a partaker of a new nature. And when you get at all a sense of all that God has said here, you're thinking, you know, God, you have a much more positive 
uh, opinion of, of me than I have of myself. I don't think myself as that powerful. I, I, I forget most of the promises you have, and I, don't, I don't, often don't feel like I'm part of your divine nature. And yet it's true, the issue is believing it and then living it out. But once you understand who you are, and then understand that the Spirit of God lives within you, and that you're to submit to Him, then this begins to be experienced in your life. You know, the verse for the month was, or is, you still have a couple more days, to, or one more day to memorize it, if you count today, it's two days, uh, Ephesians 5, 17, 18, 18. Therefore, do not be unwise. Who wants to be unwise here? We all don't want to be unwise. We want to be wise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, isn't the will of the Lord kind of mystical and hard to figure out? Uh, No, God's will is revealed to us. And here's one of them. Don't get drunk with wine, which simply means don't be under some other influence that governs how you live, because that's a waste in in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. So God has changed who we are on the inside, and he empowers it as we submit to the spirit who lives within us, and we need simply to be filled with that spirit. But if we leave it right there, then we are saying, okay, what, what's, what's, what's my part, and what will that look like if I am filled with the spirit and living according to how God has made me? And that's where Paul says, I, I'm pleading with you to be this. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, be loving, and be diligent. And one author I was reading just uh, actually really recently, he, he described all these attributes as not so much external but internal. Now, they play out externally, and that's how you know you, you are coveting and pursuing these qualities. Uh, but they're, as he said, they're inside graces for the soul. Um, I would never write like that, but that sounds so beautiful then. These are graces of the soul. These, these are what things are to be from the inside. And then it will begin to manifest itself on the outside. And as I would look at it, I would simply say this. For us to be who we are made to be once we're in Christ and to live under the influence of the Spirit of God and not ourselves or someone else influencing us, these are the things that are required because we have a tendency to go down not the road less traveled, but the road more often traveled. We, we, will, we will stay in the ruts we normally fall into. Would you agree? I mean, we are, the power of the habit is such a strong influence in our lives. What do we normally do? What we always do. Isn't that true? I mean, we, we just simply do what we always do. And if you are doing some things that, that honor God, then keep doing them. But if there are some things you say, I, I could make some course directions in how I live and how I uh, um, do the things God wants me to do, here are the ruts that we need to carve out that become a daily experience. Now, the first one is so key. We looked at it last week, but I can't resist the temptation to talk about it again. Because I think here's where we always miss up. And even though it's a quality that seems like, okay, I got that one, or at least I know about it, it's be humble. He says with lowliness, and then he goes on to gentleness and meekness. But he begins with humility or lowliness. Well, what is that? Well, I've defined it this way. It's it's knowing you need to depend on God and think about others. Humility is knowing you need to depend on God and think about others. 
Now, the reason I put it this way is whenever we fall into sin, uh, whenever we choose to go down uh, a direction that, or a path that God doesn't want us to go down, it's simply because at that moment, I, I think I can control my own destiny. I, I think God knows, you know, he knows a lot, but I know myself better than maybe he knows, and I think this is what I want to do at the moment. And w- when you really trace, have you ever, I, we all have, you know someone you really care about, and, and then they do something, and you go, how in the world could they, what, do that? I mean, they know better. I mean, they used to tell me things about that that I shouldn't do, and now they're doing it. How did it happen? It's right here. At that moment, they weren't humble. They were filled with pride, and they wanted to do what they wanted to do. And it manifested in another very specific part of that definition is, at that moment, they weren't thinking about other people. They weren't definitely thinking about God. They weren't thinking about how it might impact other people they knew. They were only thinking about what? Themselves. The idea of dependence upon God, 1 Corinthians ten twelve says this, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he, what? Fall. You ever been in a situation like that? Oh, I got it together, and all of a sudden you, you mess up, and you think, well, you know, I probably should have talked to God about that. I, I should have... I maybe thought through this before I did it. And that happens in so many spiritual ways. And, and I'm, I'm working with some people right now. I'm just, I'm just amazed that they went down that path. And they, it's, it's just because they weren't depending upon God and they weren't thinking about others. They were thinking only about themselves. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The life of humility is knowing you need to depend upon God. Now, Real quick, in my household, there are oftentimes I don't think I'm going to fall when I, I do fall. Uh, you know on ladders, A-frame ladders, the top part of that ladder where they say do not stand on it, never stand, not supposed to be stand on it. Well, we have some cobwebs. We have a, we have a one-story house, but there's, it, it's got a high ceiling, and there are, there are cobwebs that get up there. And I was in one of my get-it-done kind of moods, and, and so it was even late at night, and and so I got out the A-frame ladder, and, and I'm getting up. And, and we have one of those extension poles, but those extension poles never go far enough. So I'm getting higher and higher and up. And, I'm, and the other thing, if you do get on that last stand, take this as a, as from the life of experience. Don't lean, okay? <laughs> so, so anyway, on Friday night, I was leaning against cobwebs, and, and uh, I, I take heed lest you fall. And I fell, all right? Now, it would have been all right if I had just fallen. I didn't, obviously didn't break anything. Didn't get scarred up too much, but uh, I did break some of Alice. She she loves those like um, saucers and cups and stuff like that. Well, so uh, it just happened to be. Here's even more detail I gave the first service. Uh, uh, Matt and some of you prayed and supported him when he went to South Africa. He brought back a cup and a saucer, and that was the one that broke. You know, and I kind of fell off the ladder. Why, Why do we do that? Things like well, I do. Why do I do things like that? Okay. Is because at that moment it seemed like a good idea at the time, right? And it didn't think through it. And if that happens on a physical level, it really happens in the spiritual landmines of life where we need to depend upon God. And even more important, if we're not sure whether this is something God wants us to do, to think about how is this going to impact others? 
In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, let nothing, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We will always naturally think about our own interests, our own needs. But the real qualifying determinative factor whether we're living a humble life is, oh, at that moment, are you thinking about yourself or others? And every relationship blow up I've ever been involved trying to repair. And, and Alice was pretty good. She's actually pretty good at gluing that, that, that cup and saucer that was broken in them, quite a few pieces. But, you know, relationships that, that break up, it always becomes because at that moment, people aren't thinking about the other person. They're thinking about themselves. And, and so as Paul begins to turn the page and say, okay, I want you to put this into practice, it begins with living a life of humility. And it's not simply saying, you know, I'm, I'm not that important or I don't have that many abilities. I don't know what I... That, that's, not, that's a false humility. A true humility is I need to depend upon God. I, I'm, I, I need to depend upon God. And I need to think about others. Well, as he moves, and all these are connected, all these qualities are connected. He, he then moves on to meekness or gentleness. Uh, translators will, it's interesting because it really is one of those untranslatable words because it has different aspects to it. And, and the way I'm going to define it really speaks about how it manifests itself externally. But meekness or gentleness, as portrayed in the Old Testament and the New Testament, really speaks about a person who, who is under control. And, and the person who is under control with having a lot of power and authority and strength. And, and that's why Jesus very simply could say, Come to me all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. See, Jesus, you know, there's a lot of ways you can describe gentleness, uh, in terms of looking at it from an opposite perspective. A person who is, who is filled with anger is not a person who's going to manifest gentle or meek um, characteristics. And, and people who are out of control are, are people who will not manifest gentle behavior. Jesus was never out of control. And, and so whatever he did, he, he chose to, to do because he knew at that point that would, that would honor God. Now, now it wasn't, doesn't mean that Jesus never got angry, but when he got angry, the anger was always under control. And, and really, it speaks a lot of times practically in terms of de- determining whether you are under control, and we would say under the spirit control, it's power um, with a leash on it, is what comes out of your mouth. And I would define gentleness at least manifested in this way. Say what needs to be said in the way it needs to be said. And Jesus was so good at that. For, for those who were beaten down and, 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 and feeling all of shame and unworthy, he, he could draw them to himself and call out, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But those who were filled with spiritual pride, he, he could put them in their place. 
He had both tough love and he tender love. He could say things quietly and, and carefully. And then other things, he could cut people to the deepest part of their heart. It's interesting that the same word is actually used when we should share our faith. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts not all, and always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And when we present the message of Christ, it ought to be with gentleness, sometimes with firmness and conviction, but oftentimes with with love and sensitivity, recognizes the message that ought to convict them, not our personality. So as we think about now becoming who God has made us to be, it begins with humility, knowing we need to depend upon God and we need to think about others, not ourselves. It means that we need to recognize that we ought to have our lives under control. We ought to be meek and gentle. And it will manifest itself that we will choose to say things that need to be said, but in a way that needs to be said. Well, moving on into some new territory in the time we have left. He goes on and said, not only with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering. Now, unless we're reading the King James or New King James versions, we probably will not hear this word translated that way. It will be patience. But actually, in this particular case, it's probably better translated long-suffering because that's actually what the word literally means. Uh, Macrothemia. It has the idea of suffering or actually it could be temper, long-tempered. A person with a long fuse. But I, I define it this way. It, it's... It's resting in God when life is painful or doesn't change quick enough. It's resting in God when life is painful or doesn't change quick enough. Uh, Long uh, suffering or long temper, that tells me what I I don't want to do. I don't want to go crazy when I'm suffering. I want to be willing to go through it for an extended period of time. Or I want my my fuse to be a little bit longer than it is. I take a lot more to get me... Uh, angry than than just minimal things, but what is, what is it in a positive way? What's well, simply resting in God? It, it's experiencing His peace in those period of times when the storm is going around, where you're just trusting and you're you're waiting on Him to do what only He can do. When you're in a situation where it's 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 beyond any part of your control, uh, and all these qualities does not speak about complacency. It doesn't mean that we never are involved in anything, but it means that we learn to trust in God and wait upon Him in those situations that we just, we just get anxious about. And particularly that, that speaks about patience or long-suffering. And that relates to, to not only circumstances, but people. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 in your outline. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, and that speaks again, even gentleness sometimes will warn people, Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with who? With all. Now, there's some people that are a lot more easy to be patient with than others. Isn't that true? And particularly when you have high expectations of them. Uh, and that often happens when they're in your family or in your friendship circle. And you're, you just, you know, this, is, this, this should already, we've already talked about this before. We, I thought we agreed on this. I thought this was going to be what we were going to do. And then, they go opposite direction and you, your expectations are disappointed. And, and God says, okay, suffer with this. Suffer with this long. And, and we need to have that. Be patient with all, even the ones you're closest to. Romans 5, 3, and 4. I didn't throw the James passage in this week because you always hear that one. But 
And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, which has the same idea of patience, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. These are character qualities that God wants us to produce. And it really speaks about resting in the Lord, waiting upon Him, and and trusting in Him. We need to understand it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, The back part of your outline, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. And then goes on with a characteristic. This is a God-produced quality from the inside out. But let's be honest. Uh, All these qualities, we have to choose to cooperate with God for Him to produce. And it really speaks to Him when we are patient or suffering long that we're willing to, to, to rest in Him. You ever prayed about having a certain attitude or response to something and then it gets tested almost immediately? Uh, this uh, past week we had an event on Friday night, uh, you know, movie in the you know, in the parking lot, uh, you know, movie uh, dinner, movie and a dinner, and we kind of put up a screen and broadcast you know, those like those old time movies you can go in a drive-in theaters. Well, the, the people that were supposed to uh, in our church that were supposed to put the food together, that um, Maria Brock uh, broke her leg. I mean, what's up with that? Couldn't you still go get the food? But anyway, um, <laughs> kinder and gentler. That's who I am. All right. So anyway, uh, I. So that kind of fell on Alice, my wife, to, to do that. And so I said, okay, I'll, at our lunch break, I'll go with you to pick up the food. So we went to Smart and Final. We're buying all the things for the, the dinner on Friday night. And, and when, we go to, when we shop, I don't know if this is like you for the rest of you men, but when, when, when we go shopping, my wife's in charge. I said, okay, whatever you want me to do, just tell me and just point me in the direction. And so I, I just do whatever she says. Just, yes, master, and I just do it. Okay, so, so we got some food. She had a, a car, and I had a car, and she said, oh, go check out, and then you might be able to come back and help some other things. So I, I'm going to check out, and I, I'm thinking about the message a little bit, and I'm talk, thinking about patience. And, and so um, I, I don't know if this is a challenge for you, but when you're in a shopping place, whether it's Costco or a supermarket or wherever, you get these checkout lines. And I don't know about your passion. My passion is find the one that's going to go f- the fastest, right? I don't want to wait in line. I hate waiting in line. So I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking about being patient, but I don't want to wait in line. And, and so I, I, I'm still scouting out. It's all right to be wise, picking out the shorter one. And, and then I found one, and all of a sudden this, this other man can't, comes by, and I'm thinking, I could beat him to that line. I thought, um, I thought, wait a minute, I can be patient. He only has one item. So, uh, so I let him go in front of me, goes the line, and, and we're waiting, and all of a sudden the, the checker says, there's something wrong with our whatever. And, so we have to go out. Well, of course, what I could do, because I'm a little bit farther back than him, I can beat him to the next line. You know? But I'm thinking, well, he really was ahead of me. He probably shot to get ahead. So he, he goes in one line. And then I see this other line open. I go, okay, I'm going there. And then I see this, this um, nice uh, lady. We'll just call her advanced in age. And, I, and I'll say, I could beat her. In fact, I'm actually a little bit closer to it than others. It's really my right to get in this line. But I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm learning to be patient. So I'm going to let her go in front of me. So she goes in front of me, and she's a delightful person. But first of all, um, they're checking her out. And, and, and why does this happen when you're in line, but the barcodes don't work? Have you ever had that? You know, the barcodes, you know, they're flashing that thing on. So then they've got to type it in the computer. And I'm thinking, I could have been in front of her, and this would have been all over, okay? But, I'm, you know, I'm learning to be patient. You know, I'm suffering long. Things are irritating me. I'm, I, can, I can handle this. So, so uh, they go through that. Then all of a sudden, she does the dreaded, the dreaded, thing she 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 looked at her piece of paper her receipt and says i i I thought that was a different price so you know what has to happen now they have to have give someone do a price check and i'm looking at the person doing the price check and saying 
this is going to take a long time. You know, you can tell the people who are going to do it slow and people are going to fast. And I'm thinking, I could have been past this all by now. I didn't have anything that was complicated. But anyway, I'm thinking, then I'm thinking, I thought you were, wanted to learn how to be patient. Yeah, the only way to learn how to be patient is to be put in situations where you need to be patient. I don't know why it works that way, but that's the only way it works. And it's more than simply being able to stand in a line a little bit longer. It's saying, God, I, I, I just, I can rest in you. Now are things a lot more important about how long you had to wait, maybe two or three more minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it was uh, in that line. I, I was reading about this past week uh, a man named Craig Janes, who was a football player, All-American in college and played in the NFL, and he he got called uh, to be a sportscaster for Fox Sports News. And he had been with them for about a year, got, got kind of rave reviews by a lot of people. And then all of a sudden they decided that they wanted to fire him. And they fired him because he had taken a stand on a Christian perspective, particularly on, on marriage. And they decided that they did not want him to be in their family of sportscasters. Now, they knew that wouldn't sound too good, so they... So they, they, well, initially, they just fired him. And then Sports Illustrated, which is interesting. That's not a, a right-wing uh, Christian you know, newspaper. You know, it's, but they, read, they found out about it, and they thought, this is not right. And so they traced it, and they found out it was because in 2010, he had taken a stance on same-sex marriage. Not in an abusive way, but just saying that where he stood. And they've called him on it. And, of course, they try to backpedal and say, well, no, we really didn't think he was uh, good enough for our station. And, and uh, of course, that didn't work because they had read their, his reviews and found out his reviews were excellent. But I, I tell you that story because that's where patience kicks in when it's more than just waiting in line. And also, as we look at all these qualities, all these qualities will eventually be thrown back not only at people but to God. Because Craig James could easily, and I don't know him personally, I've seen him play sports and stuff like that, but at this point, he could say, God, why did you allow this to happen? You could have prevented this. Now I'm out of a job. I don't know when I'm going to get a job. You know, it, once one station does that, then the others are going to, they're going to be on a lot of pressure, maybe not to do it either, because it's not politically correct. Might have taken a stand from a Christian perspective on, on marriage. And how long do you want me to wait for another job? There are going to be at times when we just think things are not fair or just, and God will still want us to be patient. He'll want us to come to Him and say, okay, I, I'm going I'm to rest in you when life is painful. And when things don't change quickly. Now, you know, to be honest, I, I, you know, I have a fairly high pain threshold, probably because I've fallen quite a few times. You know, I, I have a pretty high pain threshold. I can, I, I can suffer as long as I don't have to suffer, what? Long. It, it's... It's, it's, it's not that bad to suffer for a short period of time. It's suffering long that I struggle with. And I, I dare say that's probably true for all of us. And, and some things that we are in, we know that maybe that suffering will not change until we see Jesus. 
And that's basically what God told Paul, you know, about the thorn of the flesh, prayed for it to be removed. He said, I'm just going to let you know it's not going to change. You're going to suffer long. There's many reasons why God might allow that. We know for some reason why Paul might have been put in that situation. But for some of us, we, 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 we have no reasonable explanation. But what he's saying to you, you, you will live out who you are by resting in me in circumstances and with people in which no one in the right mind would, would suffer without whining and complaining and throwing up accusations toward everyone around, but I want you to rest in me. So th- this is, this is the, the life and the road less traveled, saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be humble, which means I know I need to depend upon you and think about others. I, I know I need to be gentle, which means I, I will say what needs to be said, but I will, I will really wrestle with how and in what way that I be said. I want to be under control when I open my mouth. Third, I, I will be patient, which means I, I, will, I will be willing to suffer, suffer long. When life is painful and it doesn't seem like it's going to change quickly, or maybe even ever. You know, but Paul doesn't leave him there either. So I, I want to again understand there's still some other issues that, that are fundamental as, as I begin to tell you what... God wants from you. And we're going to go into some very practical sections on living out the life of faith at church and at home and at, and at work. I want you to be loving. Now, we might be very tempted at this point just to check out because, okay, I've heard a million messages on love. Um, but Paul throws it in here again. But here he qualifies this love. He, he really uses the word forbearing one another in love, forbearance. And I could have put that in the main fill-in-the-blank, but I just put be loving because we don't use the word forbearing very much anymore. But it really means to put up with and forgive others who wrong you or irritate you. That's what forbearing love is. It's putting up with them and forgiving them when they irritate you. Now, hopefully you can even kind of see how all these qualities kind of blend together. They all fit. They, they all kind of seem to touch the, the, at least the the outside edges of each quality. First Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 describes love. Looking at just verse 7 there, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That means that love will put up with a lot. Now, 1 Peter 4, 8, which we had in your Bible study last week, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. In your small groups this week, we'll, we'll turn to that passage, I think it's in Luke chapter 18, in which you know, Jesus encounters uh, Peter, and Peter, you know, Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive this guy? Now, Peter actually was in a pretty good mood. He didn't just say twice, three times. He gives a rather large number. He says, okay, when he does the same thing over and over and over again, let's say if he does this seven times, okay, is, is, can I now stop forgiving him? And, and that really would have done well in most synagogues at that point because this person doesn't, doesn't want to change. If you had to forgive him seven times for the same thing, 
and I'm implying the same thing because that's probably what the context there. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a number that's going to blow your mind. Not just seven times, 70 times seven. Again, that really speaks to the heart of, of love that's more than just the world's love. It's, a, it's an ongoing commitment to a person seeking their highest good that you put up with so, so much. Because God has put up so much with you. And so, so Paul is beginning to push them out and say, okay, this is who you are in Christ now. This is how it lives. And this is, this is going to be a, a daily thing that you need to come back to because it's, it's not natural to, to love and forgive day in and day out for the same person. But that's what he's called us to. And, and then there's the last quality, which I'm really only taking the, the effort to, to live out a specific thing that God wants us to do when I said he wants us to be diligent. In Ephesians 4, 3, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, that's kind of just flowery language saying, now, in your church, I'm sure we've never, never been in a church and never heard of a church that ever fought with each other a little bit, had disagreements, or split. Have you ever heard of a church that ever split? Or people didn't like each other that much? You know, they weren't, they weren't that unified. They kind of had all these little groups of people that, you know, did their thing and didn't connect. And uh, he said, look it, God has made you one. And, and you need to work out really hard with everything that you have to, to let this unity be played out in your experience at church. He goes through all those things that they had in common. You have got one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one body, one hope, all those things. Look, at you've got oneness throughout how I've put you together. Now you need to do everything you can to, to make sure that happens. You know, we've heard it takes, how many people, how many, you know, how many does it take to fight at least what? At least two, right? So if, if one person refuses to fight, there's not going to be no fight and so he's saying look it i've given you everything to to not fight about because you got all these things to hold on to each other about so be unified live it out but i don't really want to talk about that what i want to talk about is endeavoring or be diligent and that really i think spills over in every part of who we are as christians if every sin at least in my mind is because the origin of it, we were not humble at that moment. Or if you want to say the other side, the cause of all sin is pride or the lack of humility. We don't depend upon God and we think about ourselves. And I think you could pretty much diagram any sin somehow related to that. That person at that moment wasn't dependent upon God or they weren't thinking about others. They were thinking only about themselves. Probably every sin, even that first sin of Satan, you could tie to that. On the other hand, you could say, well, how about when people are trying to change, but they don't seem to be too successful at it? I would tie it to this last quality. It's when we are not diligent. And I'm defining diligence as giving your very best in what you do. Listen to these two passages, and then we'll close. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. And just to 
pull it back there, that four-letter word, work. Work out your salvation. If we think that somehow the Christian life is, you know, easy, and it just kind of happens, you know, as you let go and let God, it is letting God go, but it takes work to let God go because we have so often want to pull back. He says, I am, he goes on in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both the will and the work for his good pleasure. But he says, work it out. Work out what God has put in. And then you got Colossians 3.23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Heartily with everything we have. Sometimes when we, we don't finish a task or, or, you know, at home or when we don't accomplish some goal, you know, there are times when we are incapable of doing it, but often the reason we don't get it done is simply we didn't give it our best. We didn't give everything that we had to, to make it happen. I was saying the first service, it just popped my mind. There's a verse, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 12, when it, when it talks about relating to your sin. And it says, well, you have not yet resisted sin to the point where you have shed blood. I mean, have you given everything you have? Whatever, whatever thing you need to overcome in your life through God's Spirit helping you, if there's anything that God really wants you to accomplish, you haven't quite got there yet, have you given your very, very best? You know, so often people try things, but they don't, they don't try them with everything they have. And you can't, you can't have 50 goals at once, but, but there are certain things where, where you could do it by God's grace, and spirit, but it's going to take you to be all in. So as we begin to venture off we, you know, into the specific things God wants from his people, it, it, it leaves us with a question, what is it you want? Do you want to be all that God has made you in Christ? Do you want to experience God's spirit changing you from the inside out? And, and if you want that, what's it going to take? It's, a, it's going to take a commitment to be humble, to be gentle and meek, to be patient when you need to be willing to suffer long, to be loving, the idea of forbearing with other people, and to be diligent. And, and God will be through it all, but it's got to be something we really want. Let's pray. Well, it's amazing to me how simple the Christian life is once we boil it down to its basic ingredients. And these six qualities really speak about where at times we, we don't give you our all. And we're not willing to pay the price when things are going not the way we want them to go or we all of a sudden have desires outside of your realm. But Father, I pray that we might as Paul pleaded, walk lives worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Not for our uh, glory, but for your glory. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you in a personal way, might they understand it? It all begins with surrendering, surrendering their lives to who Jesus is, the Lord and Savior of this world. Father, as we uh, conclude our time together, might we make a fresh commitment to be all you want us to be. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We invite you to stand as we sing, and if you'd like to pray with another or talk with another afterwards, we invite you to come forward.